Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Welcome to filmandtvreview.com. Catch the latest film, TV and streamed show reviews every week. The views and opinions expressed by the authors and those providing comments are theirs alone. They do not reflect the views, opinions or position of film and tvreview.com or their respective parent companies or affiliates. Film and tvreview.com makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information in this program and is for entertainment purposes only. Episodes may contain adult humor and language. For full terms and conditions see filmandtvreview.com. Um, hi, hello there, and uh, welcome to this uh, film and TV review uh, special. I'm actually joined by Stephen Summers, a writer-director of a very interesting and quite ambitious documentary, uh, war movie, uh, An American Battle in Cinema. Um, quite a challenging, huge, huge, huge topic, Stephen, honestly, but, but thank you for joining me. But, uh, thank you. The show. Um, so, I mean, h- how long had this project been gestation in, in your mind? Because it's, it's, it's quite a it's not something you just say, wake up and say, let, let me just cover the uh, American history and war because it's, it's, it's huge. So, so what, what led <laughs> up to, what led to this, this, this task? This yeah, yeah. It's kind of um, a lot of my things come out of very personal places. A lot of, uh, all my work usually comes from a very personal place. Um, and this comes from uh, working, well, working in film for many years, but also I think going back to when I was a kid watching movies with my father and, you know, watching war movies were sometimes on, usually on when he was flipping through the channels. Um, and it became like a very important part of my childhood and kind of upbringing and how I saw the world. Um, and, you know, I started as I got older, I started to question them and started to, you know, look at them from different eyes and different perspectives with age and also as a filmmaker. And at some point, I, I I wanted to do something where I dove into a genre, and I I was like, oh well, this is a genre that you know I don't think has been tackled in a documentary form. So I decided to go at it at first from a kind of philosophical perspective of like you know why do we want to represent violence 
minutes and, you know, watch it on screen or play video games or, you know, things like that. And I started down that road and I did some interviews, but it kind of eventually grew into this kind of um, what I'd say traditional documentary examining just the cinema perspective and just the American perspective. And that's only, let me say this now, it's only because it is so big. You know, there is so many good international war films out there that I was just like, you know, I'd love to talk about, but I, I couldn't. Um, so the project, I started it probably about three years ago and it just, you know, took quite a bit of time of, you know, finding the the story, the through line through all the, uh, the possible narratives of, you know, the history of not only, you know, the films themselves, but the wars themselves and, and kind of how do you, how do you put all this together? Uh, you know, and then, uh, then what's important to me is also the, the multiple perspectives of, uh, voices you could have in this, right? So it was important for me to get the, you know, not only the film perspective, but like the historical and then the veteran experience and how that all kind of ties together. Yes. Um, I mean, you, you open up the question. I mean, it is in one of the chapters, but it is probably a question that runs through the entire series and, and you, you answer it, it. Why do we make war films? Why do we keep watching them? What compels us? It's it's a central question, I think, in the episode three, but you, it, what, what's kind of like general thoughts or kind of any universal truths that come up? Why do we make them? Why do we watch them over decade over decade? The reason is, is it's not really about the violence of it all, which is, you know, kind of what people, you know, react to or they may may repel them. Um, the one answer I found a lot of scholars saying and even, you know, veterans saying is it's the extreme of life, right? It is the absolute, you know, the absolute point in time where the body, the mind, a country, you know, politics, everything is just pushed to the limit. And the breaking point is often right there at the edge. And that's always attract us. I mean, we're attracted to conflict, right? Not so much always in a political uh, sense, but a narrative sense. And nothing makes better movies than war films because conflict is inherent in it. So, um, and I also think, you know, they help us to deal with something so extreme, right? Something so, so crazy and violent as, as warfare. Um, and then that's something that most of us have never experienced or will ever experience, hopefully, you know, if we're lucky. Uh, so it's, it, it's, it's that opportunity to look into something or see something that we may be curious about, morbidly curious in some, some ways, right? Uh, but yeah, it's just, you know, there, there's a strange attraction to it. Um, you know, why the thing, the question I ask now here in, in America is why, why do middle-aged, uh, women all love murder mysteries all of a sudden, you know, what, you know, there's just some strange attraction because it's outside our world. It's outside what we know of the everyday. And so we want to gravitate towards that. Um, you kind of do illustrate this. What comes out is that that we do have a kind of a complex relationship, or certainly does. It seems is kind of illustrates the push pull between cinema and big events to hit a nation. Yeah, I mean the relationship between the two of of historically the war, whatever war is happening, and then cinema itself is always changing. It's never a stable thing. Um, and it's always reflecting, you know, the people of the time, usually their opinion 
of the conflict in some way, whether they are making films about it, whether they're in the support, the propaganda point of view or the anti-war point of view, or like during the Vietnam or not making films at all about the conflict. So just that kind of repulsiveness to the idea of trying to put that on screen. Um, so in that in that way, it, it, it reflects, you know, not only what we see on the screen, but, you know, how we feel about it in the general public. There's also that kind of strange parallel, to me, very interesting parallel between the technology of filmmaking and, you know, the technology of warfare, um, which is very parallel also as far as like the camera, the automatic weapon and the camera kind of came about in the same time. Um, we started to have, you know, like during the Iraq and Afghanistan conflict, uh, cell phone footage and drone footage. And then you, know, you also see that in cinema, you see things shot on iPhones now and you see drones being used. So there's this kind of strange parallel between, you know, th these technologies and kind of how they represent warfare and how we kind of want to see warfare in that way. Um, but as far as a political angle, it, it, you know, that really changes with time. It's never stable. It's never one thing. And that's why I think it's important to look at the whole history of it instead of just assuming what these films are because it changes constantly. Yes. You, you do actually kind of like you and kind of wisely, because I was thinking, you know, how you do tap, tackle it, but you kind of the format of actually, yeah, obviously it's a chronological order, but then you, you take it in the era that's it. And I mean, say World War One, it's like 1914, it, you've got films where that is a kind of like a message in pushing, pulling or pushing from an isolationist stance to mm -hmm. to actually call an, a call to arms or to join the great fight. You've got films like you listen to Hearts of the World, Joan, The Woman. Um, and it's almost like in some of these films, a vilification of, uh, of the given enemy. So it's it kind of like, it was interesting. It's a bit more of a transparent, relationship with the government and a push to inform from, from the masses it's um it, it's um did that surprise you or was it because as you say you just take it in context of the era it is i mean i mean it's what's interesting to me yeah is the, you know is the interaction between you know maybe the government and the studios right so during world war one you had this very they didn't really know, you know, the government didn't know the power of film yet. They really weren't kind of aware of it, but it was the actual filmmakers and the people, the studios themselves, the directors or producers that really pushed this agenda forward on their own, you know, on their own want or need. So, you know, and then towards, towards World War II, it starts to get more intertwined and then it kind of just drops off from there, <laughs> you know. I think you cite also uh, illustration where, Sometimes what would, you know, focus on a particular airman or serviceman, their job, it, it would be so popular that you'd have huge amounts of people drafting for that one position when they needed actually people in other service sectors. But it, it, I mean, it was quite a powerful era in film. But it's weird because we live in a time period now where we we pray or we hope that the government is not influencing what we see on the screen, you know? Um, that's a whole nother debate you could get into. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's important to see that entire history of how we got here. Um, and you know, how, how, you know, the government and how the filmmakers really wanted to use this medium to say whatever they wanted to say, whether it's pro war or anti-war.
yeah, you did kind of like it does show in the documentary kind of like how it is. They come to understand that tool. It, it's it's the government. It's studios. It's, it's also you, you're getting an audience, but what an audience responds to. And um, I mean, there's always a time lapse between when they have to digest it and when once when it's not too soon, when the, when the audience is ready for it. But it, it, it does demonstrate, or like you said, you know, almost fantasy, mm-hmm. which I've seen films. Like, I, more, I, maybe I'll cite like, maybe like Gone with the Wind, so like 1939. Well, was, was quite a big period right. in cinema going. Yeah, it was yeah. the, what they call the golden golden year of cinema, supposedly, right? It's kind of like yeah. an escapism, yeah. But uh, even that kind of like, they always have this prism of whatever the genre it is, we always have this prism of, past conflicts rather than the current one then they're they're in i mean it, it seemed like a common method or kind of yeah one. i mean i think it's it does two things it allows filmmakers to look at the past right and kind of re-examine you know maybe a conflict that takes civil war the american civil war um the opinion of that changes through time so you know, every film that comes out kind of reconsiders that history, reconsiders, you know, how we look back at that. And maybe, you know, saying, well, you know, how we thought about about it 20, 30 years ago is not how we think about it now. So that's interesting. Um, And a lot of filmmakers do that. But the other thing they do is in some ways, they often reflect whatever the current conflict is by using the past as a lens. So, you know, they're making a Civil War film during the Vietnam War. There's going to be little flavors of that in there, right? And so it becomes this, you know, I mean, you know, filmmakers weren't the first to do this, you know, that kind of like metaphor uh, has been used in literature and other mediums. But um, the immediacy of film kind of allows us to kind of like, or, or not the immediacy, but the, you know, the sight and the sound of it all allows us to kind of like, be in one place but think of the present at the same time so yeah i mean i'm out out, out of kind of like world war you know uh those world war one more world war two uh films it, a lot of the a language of, of the war genre kind of spawn out of that i mean we take it as cliche now but it was like it's maybe you have the event scroll at the beginning of and then maybe mm-hmm. you have the staring speech i mean Probably now, you know, mainstays, but a, a lot of it kind of like uh, translate through films into even now, or even like quite, quite, quite big events. It's it, it is interesting how it, you know those that language of film, close-ups, wide shots, and all that seem to you know the birth of that language is hand in hand with with cinema. Um, w d Griffiths, you know, those epic wide shots, but sure, sure, close-ups, night shots, and all that. Quite, quite, quite interesting. Um, so, I mean, it's it's after that period that we kind of like, I'd say you go into the like era of the post-war, World War Two, nineteen fifties. It's where they kind of start maybe re-examining more, more the trauma of it, the veteran story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, what, well, I you, mean, I think it's important to remember. It's not the first time they examined trauma. I mean, coming out of World War One, there was a lot of films about trauma, right? I mean, there was, you know, All Quiet on the Western Front was definitely a big one. Um, you know, uh, 
big parade. Uh, there's, there's others. And so, you know, the, the Great World War uh, definitely left a scar. I mean, a little bit on America, but definitely Europe. You know, that was the big one. And then we all forgot about that <laughs> with World War II. It's, it seemed like, you know, we're like, you, we, we, we kind of paraded around and kind of pushed all of that uh, memory of, of that PTSD away so we could go fight this new war. And then, yeah, after we come, the soldiers come back in the 1950s, start to, you know, start to reconsider things. And also it, it, it's not only, you know, looking back at World War II, I mean, I think, I think there's still a lot of glory in that looking back at that war, but you know, people's opinion about the U S government of how we were going forward with the, you know, the fight against communism and Korea and then Vietnam, it just didn't sit well with Americans. And, you know, and so the movies just started to reflect that they just, you know, there was started, there were, there started to become a distrust, you know, that was never there during World War II. It started, it started very slowly and just built and built and built for years. And the films definitely reflect that. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Yeah, and it's like in the, it's during the 50s, you get a lot of World War II stories. So it's kind of like you get Dan Busters from here to eternity, uh, Paths of Glory, but it it, it it seemed an easy one. It's like, well, they call it the good war. It, it seemed a very bit more clear-cut <laughs> who the bad guys were almost. It's like it, it, in yeah. cinematic level. So it, yeah, it, it's like some, some scholars were like, you know, it's the perfect story. You know, <laughs> you can't get worse than the Nazis almost, right? I mean, they were just, yeah. you know, you, you couldn't write them better. So, and it was clear-cut, you know, pretty black and white for the most part. So we've, we, and when I say we, I say the United States has constantly gone back to that war as like, hey, remember when it was, everything was easy and clear cut and, you know, great. Um, so definitely in the 50s, but man, I mean, we're still doing it today. It's still yeah. like, we still go back to what WW2 is like to remind ourselves, even, you know, when stuff's going, you know, going downhill for us, maybe a little bit here and there. Uh, as far as, you know, on the conflict front, uh, that we, you know, we had this great moment. And so, yeah, it becomes a little bit of a fallback for uh, yeah. for movie makers and, and audiences too, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly kind of a go-to, you know, it's going to be a sure win, a feel-good <laughs> kind of like trope to go to. But, um, so, I mean, like, like you mentioned, it's, it's there's this kind of a juxtaposition between uh, – where we get a bit more audiences are get more savvy. You've got the era of television, and, and I think there's this mm -hmm. push to these great epic sweeping uh, movies. I think you've got like Lawrence Arabia, the, the Longest Day, uh, The Guns of Navarone. I mean, this is nineteen sixties, nineteen sixty-two or so. Uh, it, 
very much. Do, do you think it also made it a bit too glamorous? Where there really it is more like a push to almost glamorize um, war in, I, in that period. I I don't. I mean, some of those films differ quite a bit. Um, you know, you take like longest day and it's a very you know trumpets blaring you know here come here come the heroes to save the day and they you know they were doing new stuff in that film as far as showing multiple perspectives which was something never really tackled before um but you have something like lawrence of arabia which is about this you know british character that is a little you know he's a little unhinged and a little crazy so you know and that's about the first world war but in the desert so they're they're all kind of a little different um i think the big thing with those films was just again you, you know reflecting what's happening in the larger world is like the battle not so much on the war front but between cinema and television right like they had to the you know the studios were like we we have to make things bigger and badder <laughs> And so they just made films that were giant and long. And, you know, most of those films that you mentioned were not only massive, but they were also like in cooperation with, you know, the British in a lot of them. You know, there was a lot of joint studio work there. Um, and, you know, so it was kind of a unique time in that. As far as glorifying war, I don't know. Um, they definitely all played the hero you know, part very loud. I would say that. Yeah, that definitely comes across, you know. I mean, the Western was also big then. So, you yeah. know, the idea of hero was yeah, just a yeah. yeah, big thing. So, um, it is, uh, I mean, then, I mean, let's say the decade after that, like you mentioned, it, it's audiences getting a bit more mis trustful or a bit more critical so energy in this the, the like 70 let's say the early 70s it's it's this juxtaposition of anti-authoritarianism mistrust but then again you, you know there's this feeling you're in a war it's your fighting it's your boys out there or girls but, but you get found like the dirty dozen mash catch 22 all these the i mean a lot of these are actually set in the Korean War. I mean, Altman's smash is supposed to be... It's yeah, supposed it's to be the war. Yeah. It's obviously name only, but it's 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 very much about Vietnam era. And oh, yeah, Korean. yeah. I mean, it's... it's They don't look like people in the 50s in Korea <laughs> at all. Yeah, it, it's just... I mean, it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to, you know, just not line up correctly, you know? It's, it's, it's pretty much the anti-hero kind of, like, that take center stage there like that you yeah yeah it's it's you know we we still want that movie we still want the war movie but how can <laughs> we do it in a way that you know the, the you know the guys that don't want to go to the war as you draft dodgers or what have you or anti-war protesters may still be like nah all right you know like this guy this guy hates authority or this guy you know they they're there because they don't want to be there so you know that that becomes yeah the anti hero becomes the new new kind of center stage uh for for a lot of these films and then you know there's a lot of they all have a push against you know whether they take place in ww2 or korea they're they're pushing against the you know the status quo of what that what the average soldier is supposed to be like there so you know it had there was an attraction there i mean it's uh it's uh, and also made me of course, come to the, the late late seventies. I mean, be a miss 
obviously not to mention, but you you got this kind of like certainly a spate of films that really then start to take a very close look at, to the Vietnam or the post. I mean, the, say the the absurdity and maybe the heavy trauma of those coming home. I mean, I'm at apocalypse apocalypse now. The Deer Hunter. I mean, these these are kind of like those big social movies that were, you know, quite that era of Hollywood cinema. Seventies almost like a golden period of great social films. But I mean, it, it's that's where kind of like we start thinking, oh, this is a serious look and an ugly look at not shying away from the you know what it does to the human psyche and soldiers. So it's very much almost become an anti-war movie. Well, a more wormy, but as you say, it's a, it's, it's interesting part of cinema, honestly. Yeah, because we came out, you know, like I said earlier, during the Vietnam War film, there were no films about that. Well, there was one, I should say, that was made during that war, which has never happened before, and you know, since cinema has been around, so it was kind of, you know. And it was a long war too. It was on long for it was on for many years. And the fact that we didn't have any films that really kind of tried to explore it were said something about the culture of the time. And now, yeah, you have like five years afterwards, you have these directors like Coppola and Michael Cimino that kind of try to start to unpack it. You know, maybe not successfully to some people, right? To veterans, they kind of saw some of those films as being in, in, inaccurate in ways. But it was it was the start of opening the dialogue about those conflicts. I mean, it's yeah. We've got come a new wave of, of directors around that time. It's like it's the new Hollywood back then. And, mm-hmm. and funny enough, but in, in quite like I said, quite a lot of social commentary films. But again, like you mentioned before, there is a, then a, a veer, a complete U-turn in cinemas where they, in audiences rather, where they really want to just go the other way because it's kind of almost there's this like the, the dawn of the, the modern blockbusters, the kind of fantasy vehicles, and you've got. Say like Jaws, nineteen seventy-five, and of course Star Wars. But ironically, <laughs> takes a lot of the tropes of a World War Two movie. Quite honestly, it's it, it, it's it's quite a fascinating. Oh yeah, yeah. It, I mean, there's a bombing run in it for God's sake. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's exact. It's yeah. I mean, all those. Yeah, there's no doubt about it yeah. that you know one influences the other for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I think I did hear that. You know, George Lucas used to for those fights. Uh, those aerial scenes did cut a lot of World War II um, sequences into it when he was actually um, trying to piece it together. And, yeah, and, a, and a lot of the sets and all that, of course it was filmed in the UK here, but a lot of the World War II scrapyards were actually sourced and you'd recognize Canopy, the uh, kind of like uh, pilot's um, seating and, and, and so forth. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, great. So um, it's it's of course it's we kind of like then you hit the the eighties. It's again it's like another U turn where it's ten years after maybe Vietnam's ended it, and it's almost like we get this period of where cinema is trying to reclaim the Vietnam War again, where you've got kind of stuff like Rambo, <laughs> Top Gun. I mean, these are kind of all any Chuck Norris kind of movie. That, yeah it's weird because that's you know i mean it's kind of more of a conservative return to vietnam and the idea especially with well the first the first rambo uh, first blood is kind of not a 
bad movie. It's about a guy suffering from PTSD. It's the second one where he goes back to Vietnam, which is an incredible metaphor, right? Of saying like, as a country, like, we're not done. Let's go back and fix this thing. Um, you know, and it talks about POWs and, you know, the, the, you know, the idea of leaving something behind and trying to get back and reclaim it. So, yeah, there's kind of like early 80s, I would call them kind of conservative or uh, reappropriating the war to kind of fight against what was known as the Vietnam syndrome, which is like this idea that, you know, the United States has been, you know, kind of castrated because of this war. And now we got to refine our glory. We got to refine who we are. And so what do we do? We send a dude over without a shirt on. To just, you know, tear shit up over there. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of stuff I grew up on, too. And so, like, it's it. I loved in this doc because it made me go back and look at that stuff mm. and see it as, like, kind of where it comes from now. So, um, but, yeah. And then the 80s evolved into, like, kind of what they call the third uh, phase of war, of it on war movies, such as Platoon and Full Metal Jacket and... Um, there were others, but they were more honest. They were really kind of like, let's explore the soldiers on the ground, their experience. And they were often done from, uh, you know, veteran viewpoints too. Like they were either writing or directing. So you got a way more empathetic viewpoint of the war experience in those films. I mean, it's just difficult to really kind of like get across unless you maybe how fortunate, how close these films get, or just as he does it to them. But did, did you talk to anyone who thought this this site of film, this, this is pretty much as close as I've seen on film, and maybe a bit of experience of how the war was, maybe on the ground or anything like that? Um, yes and no. <laughs> because, I mean, the one thing, you know, was established by many people that they said this throughout the doc is that, you can't ever replicate this experience. It's impossible, right? There's just being in a war zone, uh, I've, I've been told is just sensory overload, right? Just, you know, sound, sight, smell, you know, vision, all that stuff. Um, so to try to put that into a film and ever try to encapsulate that in a like true, true senses, we have to, as viewers, just go, that can never be achieved. But there are small things I've heard from veterans that, you know, um, confusion is a big one that kind of comes up, if, you know, which they, uh, you know, I heard uh, from veterans about platoon is like just the sheer confusion of a firefight, right? Not this nice, organized, clear, you know, we know who we're shooting at, right? Um, another thing that I didn't put in the film was this uh, one veteran was talking about in Full Metal Jacket, there's a scene where they're running and there's the sound of their like backpacks, like just kind of jostling around. And he's like, yes, that is what I remember. That sound of like running and just all your gear kind of making that noise. Now that may not seem important to us, but that's like a very, that's of the moment for them, right? It's not going to be as, their experience is not going to be like a movie. That's the other thing too, right? It's never going to be this kind of clear cut, you know, perfectly framed experience. It's going to be very, you know, it's going to be a lot of things. It's. I mean. I mean. As we kind of like move on to the modern era. I mean. It's. It's where we say post nine eleven. You know, Afghanistan. All that. It, it seems a bit more murky 
murky world and landscape to cinematically portray as in a because mm-hmm. you kind of narratively always need a someone to get behind and not and I mean what 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 space do you think war movie could even if there is a space for it in this much more murkier world and where you've got so many perspectives and you've got so many viewpoints that hit us now in the age of you know online and all that do you think it's very difficult do you think do we I'm a, don't see t- that many that we used to, but maybe that's reflected on the times. But do you think it's possible, or is it maybe it's like the, you always mm-hmm. find a way, a viewpoint to depict on on cinema or on film? I think you know, like storytellers evolve with the times. They evolve the storytelling method, or at least the delivery system. You know, of you know whether it be a two-hour feature or an epic three-hour or you know, a mini series or something like that. Um, so personally, yeah, on one end, I see, I'm hoping storytellers evolve and kind of embrace these, uh, like the mini series more often, because that allows you to get more perspective, more voices in there. Um, but it is difficult. It is very difficult because it's hard not to make these things today without seeming like, you know, there's an agenda put forth, right? Uh, I think that's always, you know, especially if you're talking about the Iraq and Afghanistan war, like, I don't know if a good film about those wars has been made yet, you know? I mean, there's a lot of great films that have come out like American Sniper and Lone Survivor, but I don't think enough time has passed for us to process them yet. So, you know, I, I, Time is always a big factor in these things too, of like this kind of like giving the 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 people, the the viewers, the you know, the the veterans time to process and say, how can we represent this? How can we represent this time in a way that, you know, not only reflects our experience, but the experience of the, you know, maybe the people, the general public, but you know, speak in a language that is current too, and speaks to different uh, perspectives. So it, it it takes time, I think. Yes, it. it I mean, have you, have you had any kind of like uh, responses to? I mean, have you could it's from um, Cantilever Films? It's the the uh, documentary uh, series producer. Have you had any uh, responses or any gauging any audience reactions to? Who you've shown this to, or what, what strikes them the most about this series? The biggest thing I think it's been pretty positive. I think the biggest thing is people love seeing the whole story. I mean, it's not the complete story, but it's the whole story, um, and I think that's important for people, uh, especially people that like maybe like war films, but they don't kind of know much about the interaction of, you know, the making of them, what happened around them and uh, things like that. So it kind of, my goal was to give people this kind of uh, general kind of look at the history of this stuff and say, okay, it's it's been this thing and then it changed into this and it changed into that. You know, what can we do with it now? How can we, you know, we shouldn't put these stories away or we shouldn't put the veteran experience away. How can we tell it in a new way? And I'm hoping, you know, maybe that'll, you know, birth some new ideas out of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, people have been pretty positive about it. I haven't had any real pushback on it yet. So, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that I'll have somebody say, well, how come you didn't cover this film or, you know, what about this? You know, that'll come, but nothing too bad yet. 
Well, I, I, Stephen, it's been a pleasure. I, I think the film or the documentary, it's a five-part series. It's like, so it's five hours, and you think, well, I mean, you you put it in a very digestible. But it's it, it's interesting from if the history of cinema, but also, of course, the identity of a nation. But it's also global. I mean, it, it, it's very sure. quickly, you can see just how the relationship. Uh, you know, a war is not it's not in a vacuum, really, wherever you are. But it you, you it is. Pretty fascinating, even just as a, a historical document of, of this. But it, it you know, it's, it's worth on that and, and kudos. So, so um, I would, I would recommend it. Uh, where can we actually see? Is it got distribution anywhere, or where can it be released? Uh, yeah, it, uh, you can purchase the DVD, DVDs and Blu-rays now through the website cantileverfilms.com. Uh, they should be up on Amazon within a month or so as far as buying those. But uh, yeah, we're working on streaming. It should be streaming in a month or so. So I don't have a place yet, but we're, it's in the process. So, you know, those things move at a time we don't control. So <laughs> we'll see, you know. So what's uh, next? Have you got another project? Or I do. Or I, yeah, yeah, we're, we've started already. Um, it's hard It's hard to stop. That's the thing. Once you, you think you want to break, but you can't. Um, no, the next is kind of a, it's a documentary, but it's more of a, a little bit more experimental in that way. It's a feature uh, about the fear of the apocalypse and kind of like war films in the same kind of way of looking at the hi history of how we've seen this idea of the end of the world, kind of culturally, historically, um, and how that is relevant to us today, you know, like with all the, you know, the fears in the world, how do we navigate this fear but we also need to understand that this fear has always been with us as human beings right so you know not to push against or away from you know global warming or any you know any of the conflicts in the world they're still real and they're still important but you know this this stuff's not new <laughs> it's been it's been around for thousands of years and just kind of like how do you how, how do we deal with it right well, I look forward to that, Stephen. I think, um, judging by this, it's uh, be very interesting what you dig up and present to us. Thanks. Stephen, uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, sure. we'll see you next time. Bye. It was a pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this film and TVReview.com episode. Catch the latest film and TV reviews, together with regular episode content from the world of film and TV every week. See you soon. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today.